Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta, your Dana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Yuma, daf nun, page fifty. Your Dana, it's page fifty. I feel like that's a milestone. It's a milestone. We're more than halfway done, actually. Unbelievable. Okay, so on this daf, we have, as we discussed in preparation, there's a lot of different topics, concepts, details that come up, and we're gonna just focus on a, on really just a few of them. Uh, first, I want to just talk about the parachatat. So what happens? The Gemara is talking about the parachatat, right? This is a korban chatat, of the Sierra chatat. And the, so there's a cow and there's a goat. And then in my notes, I've got a, a it's really just a sidebar, but it's a really important one, I think, um, which talks about there's a, there's a case and the, the case is on the daf of what happens when you have chataot uh, metot. You have sin offerings, a chatat, that is left to die. Why would it be left to die? And there are five different circumstances under which a korban that has been designated as a sin offering is, instead of being sacrificed as that korban, is going to be put to death or left to die instead. So, and really, the I would say left to die because nobody's coming to actively put them to death. Nobody's coming to kill them because... They're consecrated. They were consecrated to be a korban. And the moment an animal is consecrated to be a korban, you know, God help you, literally, right? If you do any damage to that animal. But at that same time, for whatever different reason, we'll see five different reasons why they cannot be offered as korbanot. So they're left to die. It seems, I have to say, Erdina, it seems much more brutal you know, this this solution of just leaving the animal, you lock it up and you starve it to death seems much more brutal than just putting it to death. Oh, I completely agree. I mean, the more I learn of Sachim and Yuma, the more I realize, like, if we go back to this, there are a lot of people who will not be comfortable with this. Right, right. Yes. So, And, and that's it, hard for me. And I haven't come up with a good way of, like, does that mean I'm too influenced by Western ideals and values i don't know it it, it it bothers me like i don't read these masakhtot and i'm like this sounds amazing it it bothers me as well certainly this kind of thing you know we'll come across the the worst one is when this happens to a person which is you know gave, gave me the shock of my system when i when i encountered it many years ago um but we'll talk now about the animals i wonder and i don't know if we have an answer i wonder how often it really had to be done you know like and maybe that's the solution. Maybe it wasn't so brutal because it wasn't common. Now, I don't know. Maybe it was common, but but let's put it this way. If it weren't common, then having a rule on the books that is brutal is less disturbing than if you actually have to go out and do it. So let me just talk now about the cases, right? What are these cases where you would end up taking this consecrated animal that was designated as a korban chatat, which for ever, whichever reason which we're about to list could not be offered as a korban chatat. So this is what they are. First of all, the offspring of a korban chatat. Okay, the offspring of a korban chatat cannot be offered as a korban chatat because it's not the korban chatat, but it's I guess because it's the, the the you know the progeny of a korban. You can't use it for something else. Number one. Number two, an animal that has been substituted for a korban chatat, right? Meaning one that wasn't supposed to be substituted to begin with. Now, what are you going to do with it? It's consecrated, you have to let it die. A sin offering whose owners have already gained kapara, atonement, through a different sin offering, meaning they have managed their what they needed to do. 
And now that korban that was designated, that animal, let me be clear, that animal that was designated as a korban is kind of in, in no man's land because the atonement that it was supposed to provide has already been accounted for. And because it's designated in conjunction with that atonement, it's not like you can repurpose it for some other atonement. Nebuch, this poor animal, is left to die. And then we have a sin offering whose owners have died. And this, you really got to feel for the animal because its whole purpose, you know, as a korban is to provide this atonement, this apology for the owners. But if the owners have died in the in the interim, right, since that animal was designated as the korban khatat, then there's nothing to do with this korban because it is identified with those owners and they're not around. Um, I mean, and they're not able to be around because they're dead. A sin offering of a sheep or a goat that is more than one year old, meaning that is not the, the definition of how a korban chatat of a sheep or a goat is supposed to go. And then, of course, there's going to be all kinds of machlokets. What happens when you have, you know, sin offerings that are communal for the community at large? And do those, how do those apply if somebody has died, you know, in the, in the group? Um, but right, so this is the case. Chatat shemetu. Baleha, uh, that's the case of the daf, and all the rest comes as an as a sidebar, and I think it's very essential to the understanding of what is a korban chatat, <clears throat> meaning the atonement it's supposed to provide will only work if the conditions of that atonement being provided are actually in place, like the people needing atonement have to be alive, the korban has to be its own designated animal, it cannot be a replacement, it cannot be its progeny. And so on. I think these are all interesting concepts. I'm going to move on to the next one, uh, which is the Parhelam Davar Sheld Sibor. Um, so, again, there's a bunch of different korbanos that are mentioned on this page. I just want to mention two of them that are really just mentioned in passing on Ahmed Aleph. Um, so, this Parhelam Davar Sheld Sibor is a halacha that appears in um, Vayikra um, in uh, chapter four. Um, I think it's verses um, 11 through 21 or something like that around there. And basically what this has to do with is that the Sanhedrin uh, makes a ruling about something, permitting something that really should have been not permitted, that's punishable by Kare. Then everybody who is living in, you know, living in Eretz Israel, presumably at that time, would have to bring a Korban. What's interesting is, is that there was a par brought by each one of the Shvatim. So presumably it would be brought up to as many as 12, um, as many of 12 pars could be brought or parod, I guess I should say, um, as a korban chatat. Um, and, you know, that's basically what would happen. And then if you read the psukim um, in Vayikra, you know, the blood of the bull is sprinkled seven times uh, towards the heichal. Um, and, um, you know, this is basically how you would, the whole community would basically atone if everybody did something that they later found out was really punishable by curry. Um, there's a second one that's mentioned there, which is, let's say the sin that everybody did was actually Avodah Zara, right? So something totally different. And that's called Seirei Avodat Kochavim. So if the majority of B'nai Yisrael um, did something that really, that was, uh, that was related to, Avod, uh, to Avodah Zara, then this is what you would bring instead. So this is different than the Parhelam Davar. This is specifically for Avodah Zara, but the same, um, and um, it's the same type of thing that one goat, these are goats that would be brought, 
and each goat, there would be a goat brought from each Shevet. Um, so it's just interesting to see, because I think normally, uh, you know, we've been talking about, I think, more of the familiar types of korbanat throughout Pesachim and throughout Masachat Yuma. And, you know, these are a lot of the, um, uh, this is what a lot of Sefer Vayikra is spent on, is sort of these types of communal um Chataot uh, or olas that were brought for very, very, very specific uh, situations. And so when I was thinking about this in terms also of, because I'm trying to find some type of, I mean, I won't find the whole one, but framing of all this, but we sort of have, you know, sort of our um, time-bound korbanot, right? The korban tamid, a korban musaf, like all the things that you do that have to really relate to calendar, right? Time of year, they relate to a holiday or something like that. And then you have sort of, you know, all these extra ones, right? So we've spent a lot of time talking about the korban chatat of an individual, whether it was in Masachat Shabbat um, or in other places where, it's, where it has come up. But these are specific korbanot that were brought when the whole community or the majority of the community transgressed in some way um, and how that was, you know, how that was actually done to sort of atone for the whole community itself. Um, obviously, you can't have every individual bring one. So it's, it's you know, the same way as Yom Kippur works. It's a communal korban that's brought, um, but is done when the error is actually discovered. So it's interesting. I think we very often think about korbanot as being the province of the individual, right? If you're bringing a chatat or you bring an asham or a shlamim for that matter, or the korban pesach, you're bringing it, you know, you yourself, the individual. Um, but then I feel like Really, most, I don't know about most of the carbonote, but the, the most regular of the carbonote are communal carbonote, namely the tamid of the morning and the evening, the late afternoon, whatever, right? That's two a day, straight up. And that's every single day. And then you add in the holiday ones, musafin and so on. And I feel like maybe there really is a balance then between what's a communal carbonate requirement versus a personal individual requirement. Um well, I think that this DAP also talks about that a little bit. It's sort of like what are, you know, specifically with the Kohen Gadol, is that the personal um, korban of the Kohen Gadol? Is it a Tzibor korban? Is it like the other Kohanim have a partnership in the korban? So I, I think the status of what some of these types of korbanos are, like when the Kohen Gadol is acting on part of everybody, it's not exactly clear what that korban is. I think th these two that I just reviewed, um, the Paralam Davar Shal Tzibor and the Seirei Abu Dakhavim, I think it's pretty clear that is a korban of the Tzibor itself. But oh, we see that sure. some of the Yom Kippur ones, it's not clear what that status is, right? Because on the one hand, he's making like, especially with the par, he's making an individual vidoy for himself in his house, but also on behalf of all the Kohanim, what's the status of the Kohanim for that par, right? Like, what is, are they just like partners, Eret? Are they really part of it? Um, and I thought that was also another interesting discussion that came up on this stuff. So the, so the other thing I wanted to say from this is that I feel like, you know, show me, show me your carbonate and we'll know who you are, right? Like the, the notion that the, listen, the Kohen Gadol has to bring a carbon chatat on Erevim Kippur to atone for himself and for his household and so on, on the assumption that it cannot be that the year happened with no need for a korban chatat, right? It doesn't have to be a big bad thing either, right? There's all kinds of, I don't know, I guess everything that a korban chatat would be required for. Nothing is too minor, but the idea is you're not looking into an individual's 
need for to bring a korban because it's part of the ritual of the day of Yom Kippur. But anybody else, right? Like you have people who are going to be showing up at the Beit Hamikdash and they need to bring their various different korbanot, and that's that's the atonement, right? Like that's how we know. That's how they know. You know, I'm I'm not saying anybody's looking over anybody's shoulder. That's not the point. I'm just saying we we know that people were not perfect by virtue of the fact that they're bringing carbonate to atone for things that they've done wrong. Um, if we want to think of the previous generations, and I know that we've said the opposite many times, but if we want to think of them as, you know, great, and that doesn't mean perfect, but shouldn't they be greater in their absence of sin than we are? Well, but look, they're always bringing chata'ot, you know, whatever. Um, again, not always. I'm just saying that the, the phenomenon of bringing these carbonot attests to the fact that people had something to atone for. Yeah, I, right. And I think also that the system is set up that we acknowledge, of course, people are going to sin, right? And that sin is going to happen. And even the Sanhedrin can make a mistake. And we need to have, you know, we need to have a system in place for how you actually do that type of atonement. All right. And move on to our last okay. which is one that I still cannot wrap my head around totally. Well, so, so this stuff and the previous, the second half of the previous stuff, um, or this, whatever that amount of the previous amud, um, is talking about tamura. Tamura really means an exchange, right? Where you can swap out one thing for the other. Now we've just said, I've just said that you can't swap out for a carbon chatat, and it's not all. It's a big, complicated complication. Meaning the the question of what can be swapped for what and when is part of the discussion on. Uh, Memtet, page 49. Here, I just want to look at a very, um, uh, uh, like a magnifying glass on one aspect of what it means to have a substitute, right? To swap something out for something else. So the Gemara says, Tashma, Chomer Bazevach Me So we have two different Karbanot in this scenario, namely the original, which is called here just the Karban, the sacrifice, Zevach, and then the exchange. Right, the one that is the substitute. So the Gemara states that we have circumstances or we have details that are more stringent for the zevach, for the korban, the original, for than for its exchange. The chomer betmurami bezevach, and likewise, there there are details that are more stringent for the exchange than they were for the original. Chomer bezevach shazevach noheg biyachid betzibur v'dochet et haShabbat v'et haTumah. So the Gemara says, this is quoting a Brayta, really, says as follows, where is it more stringent with the with the original Zevach? Because the Zevach, the original Korban, is, you know, all the details of that will apply to the individual the same way that it would apply to the community. And that same Korban is going to Dolchet Shabbat, it's going to override Shabbat, and also Dolchet Tumah, it's going to override Tuma, meaning the need of bringing it in its time, and then and then this is where it gets tricky. You can perf- you can perform that substitute, you can perform that exchange for the zevach, but you cannot perform an exchange on an exchange. So that means that you have details that are more chamor, that are more stringent, more particular when it comes to the original carbon, that are not the case for the substitute. Fine. Then the gemark. Or again, quoting the bright that continues, mm-hmm. 
So it says the the tamura case, the exchange, the substitute is more extre- more stringent, right, than the zevach than the original one. In the case where, let me just say this right, if you have a an animal that has a mum and that a blemish, and that blemish is a permanent one, and that's called bal mum kavua, meaning he's always a permanent, a permanently blemished animal, right? So then the that when you would if you were in fact to swap that animal, so it's going to get the sanctity. You can't designate that animal as a I don't believe, but if you swap it out, if you use it as an exchange, then it gets the sanctity of the animal for which it was exchanged. I hope I'm saying this right. Your Dana, my head is not quite spinning, but it's also not quite steady. No, you said it correctly. I, as I'm following oh. along with you, I believe. Okay, so. <laughs> okay, good. Um, okay, and then what happens? The tamura, the substitute animal, cannot stop being sanctified. You can't redeem the sanctification off of it once it's been once it's been once it's acquired that kedusha as a, as a consecrated substitute for the original. Um, Meaning, the only thing you could do with it is offer it as a korban, um, and you can then eat it if it's that kind of if it's the kind of korban that you could, right? But you cannot redeem it. You cannot take its wool. You cannot work with it. Meaning, use it as a plow animal or something like that, right? You can only use it for this. It was exchanged specifically designated for this business of of being a korban, um, and that is not the case of the original korban where you, in fact could redeem it and and use its will and so on not every circumstance right you know again this is just just a bright uh, and just a very um spotlighted aspect of the tamura very complicated tamura situation but the idea is that there are circumstances where you could in fact redeem the original korban that you cannot redeem the exchange substitute korban right what's interesting about tamura is is that you it it's 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 a sin. We could understand if you did it on purpose. Like for some reason, you designated an animal, and they're like, "Nah, I don't want to give that one. I'll do another one." But from what I've read about and understood about Tamura is, even if you do it bishogeg, you still can get malkut for it. So I think it's trying to teach us, you know, sort of how careful we have to be with objects that are already, you know, put aside for something kadosh. Like we really have to be careful with them. Right. The fact that you could have exchange to begin with. I find bizarre. Like, haven't you just designated that to be a carbon? How can you swap it out? And the answer is no, but under certain circumstances, you can swap it out. And yet, once you swap it out, now that that particular carbon, that particular animal is going to have new stringencies applied to it and and likewise to the original. It, it's a complicated thing, I find. Um, and I imagine that if we were living in a world of carbonote, the need for tamurot would become that much clearer. Literally, just going to say that. Like, I think part <laughs> of why Tamura is so difficult to understand is, I, and I'd be curious if there's some, you know, learner with us who, you know, let's say lives on a farm or raises animals. Maybe you understand this better, but I'm so removed from animals that I don't understand any piece of this. You know, like what would make you want to swap one animal out for another or anything about it? But I, I for some reason, I feel like people who really raise animals understand something about this that you and I are not quite getting. Right. I think the one thing I would say is that I think that it's something more than 
simply being careless about which animal you designate as a korban. The whole topic of Tumura is so um, involved and so developed, meaning in the Gemara and, and throughout, right, that I think that it can't just be like, oops, I, I chose the wrong animal. I, I would agree it with that. There's more and, other motivation for it. Yeah, and we'll, you know, we may, hopefully we'll learn more and more and, and figure out more and more about it as we continue to go through the DAF. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rate us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the DAP and some of the uh, new topics that are brought up for us that we've not seen before on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.